Our message this morning comes from Revelation chapter 5. And you can find that on page number 1918 of the Pew Bibles. And we will be reading the entire chapter. Again, that is Revelation chapter 5, page number 1918. So John, in his revelation that he had from the island of Patmos, in chapter 5, says this. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne. Encircled by the four living creatures and the elders, he had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voices of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. This is the word of the Lord. 
So human history is um, filled with tragedy, wars, disease, oppression, death. And every religion, every government, every philosopher has tried to explain this and find a solution to it. But I don't think I would be crazy if I said, this is just the brute realities of life. That from an earthly perspective, there's actually no solution to it. Even in our modern age, there is this great confidence that we are somehow on the brink of of solving all these problems because we can fly to the moon and we can talk to each other on a handheld device from across the world. We've cured and eradicated diseases. We have medicines and surgical procedures like the world has never seen. My own daughter, if she would have been born at any other time in history, would have died at birth. And the world's population has ballooned to almost 8 billion people and we have found ways to feed most of them and we could feed all of them if it weren't for political opposition. There's something wonderful about all of this. Something glorious. Yet... As we've witnessed the expanse of these wonderful and glorious things in the last century, we've also seen an equal and opposite expanse of terrible things. All of the technology that we have that allows us to do great things like eating and communicating and flying and healing, we've also seen used for terrible things like starving and spying and bombing and killing In the 20th century, 108 million people died from war and genocide. And we all see this mirrored in our own hearts and lives as well. Each each one of us is a, a walking contradiction of goodness and evil. Even the best, most kind, most disciplined person among us wouldn't want everyone knowing everything we think and feel day in and day out. We're all sinners. Some of us despair of our sinfulness. Others of us just dismiss it. Hey, we all make mistakes. But no matter what, we all recognize that there's something not right. But we're also sufferers. Our bodies break down. Sometimes people who are the closest to us disappoint us and betray us. We're full of unfulfilled longings and desires. We have this ache inside us for something, and so we watch a show, read a book, eat some food, call a friend, dive into a hobby. But that that longing is there. And so we all have this sense that there has to be something more than what we experience in this life. And yet we're all going to die. And no matter what we do, from what I understand from speaking to those 
who are much older than I am, we're going to feel this way until we die. Broken people and a broken world. The book of Revelation was written by the Apostle John. He was one of Jesus' disciples who walked with him for three years on the earth. And when John was at the foot of the cross, as Jesus died, he gave his mother to John to care for. And John took her into his own home. And John lived to be quite old, and toward the end of his life, he had a vision from God, and everything written in this book is from that vision. The book opens with John seeing Jesus in his glory in chapter 1, and then in chapter 2 and chapter 3, Jesus has seven different messages for seven different churches. And then in chapter 4, John is invited to walk through a door into heaven where he sees God in all his glory upon his throne. And then after taking in this scene of God on his throne where everyone in heaven is worshiping him, all of a sudden, John notices that God has something in his hand. And then chapter 5 opens this way. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides with seven seals. So John has just seen these heavenly creatures falling down before God, laying their crowns before him, which is a symbol for the fact that there really is only one king. And they are worshiping him who lives forever, and they're giving him glory and honor and thanks. And then in the last verse of chapter 4, we read this. They say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. And so each one of us in this room today is aware and breathing because this God decided that it would be so. And since God created everything, God is in control of everything, and we owe him for every breath we take, he deserves all of our gratitude, all of our worship, all of our praise. And then in the midst of this amazing scene of worship, all of a sudden, John notices that God is holding a scroll with writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. And then John says, And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But... No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside. So we have this scroll, riding on both sides, sealed with seven seals. We have a mighty angel who's proclaiming who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll. And then just imagine all of heaven standing still and looking around. All of a sudden, this worship scene stops. And everyone is just looking around. And they can't find anyone who's worthy to open the scroll. Well, what's on this scroll? 
We don't really know, but we have a good idea. In the book of Daniel, which is from the Old Testament, God gives Daniel very similar visions to the ones we read about in the book of Revelation. And like Revelation, Daniel's visions are difficult to understand. They are about the future and they're about God's plan of salvation for his people. And after receiving his visions, Daniel is told, But you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. This is likely the same scroll. Filled with God's plan of salvation for his people. It's his plan to save us out of this world. Where no matter how much good we do, we tear it all down as we're doing it. It's his plan to save us from our own sin and suffering. This is his plan to get us out of this mess that we're all in. Where we sin and suffer and suffer and sin. And we know the world is broken too. And we know that we're all part of it. We might like to congratulate ourselves that we're not as bad as Vladimir Putin. But we're all part of the problem. We don't love God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. We don't love our neighbor as much as we already love ourselves. Our hearts boil with envy and lust. Even if on the outside we're nice, decent people, not a single one of us can prevent the suffering that's coming our way or stop ourselves from contributing to it. Which is why our world has gone on like this ever since the beginning, filled with tragedy, war, disease, oppression, and death. We're all contributors to it, and we're all victims of it. And so we need someone to come and to rescue us. And right there in God's right hand is his plan for how it's all going to happen His plan to defeat evil and to save his people. According to Daniel, the scroll tells us that there will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. And so this scroll tells us how God is going to make all things new, how he's going to wipe away every tear from our faces. It tells us all about how this world It's going to be remade and set right. And we know we can't do it. Everything humans have ever tried either backfires or falls apart eventually. So if we're ever going to be saved, there has to be someone who can break the seals and open the scrolls. But if there's no one worthy to open the scroll, then what are we going to do? And if there's no one worthy to unroll God's plan of salvation, that means we're all stuck in our sin, in our misery. That means this cycle of tragedy, war, disease, oppression, death, it's just going to keep going and going and going from one generation to another. And so John says, I wept and I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. How come no one is worthy to open the scroll? 
Why can't the mighty angel open the scroll? He's, he's a glorious angel. If you and I saw him, we would be tempted to fall down and worship him. He's never sinned. He's never done anything wrong. And he's a mighty angel. Why, why can't he open the scroll? But John tells us no one, not even in heaven, was found who was worthy to open the scroll. And so we have to ask, why can't a glorious, mighty, heavenly being open the scroll? Well, when God created this world, he decided to run this world with humans. When he created the world, he gave Adam and Eve dominion over it. But when they sinned, they brought in death and disease and destruction. And so then God promised to save the world through a son of Eve. But eventually the world became so evil that God had to destroy it with a flood. And so then he promised to save the world through the nation of Israel. But all Israel ever did, really, was make things worse like every other human being. So the mighty angel can't open the scroll, not because he doesn't have enough worth or value but because he's just not the kind of being who can open the scroll. He's not worthy because it's just not fitting. It's not appropriate for anyone other than a human to open the scroll. God runs the world with humans. Humans ruined the world. And God has promised to save the world through humans. So only a human can be worthy to open the scroll. But humans are all sinners. Every single human being is part of the problem here. So they can't possibly be worthy to open the scroll. And so John weeps and weeps because if no one can open the scroll, it means we're stuck in this mess forever. Now, obviously, John knows better. But he's having a vision here. It would be like if you and I had a dream where we were climbing Mount Everest with our spouse or with our best friend, and then they fell. And we watched them plummet to their death. In the dream, we would have all the same feelings that we would have if if this person who was so dear to us fell and we watched it happen. And we wouldn't stop and think to ourselves, I would never climb Mount Everest. That wouldn't occur to us because we're so caught up in the dream. And so John is weeping here because he is so caught up in this vision. And in this vision, if there's really no one to open the scroll, then all hope is lost. And maybe that's how you feel this Easter. Maybe you're here this morning and you know God is good. You know he's in control. You believe that Jesus lived and died and rose again. But your own failure is weighing you down. No matter what you do, it feels like your sin or your suffering is just right there every day staring you in the face. You can't get over that addiction, but you're afraid of what it will cost you if you don't. You know God is calling you to lay down your life and and trust Him with something. 
But then if you do, you're totally out of control of what your future will look like. And so you're afraid. Maybe your marriage is distant. Maybe it always has been. And now you're starting to wonder if it's never going to get better. Is this really what my one and only life is going to look like? Will I ever... Will I ever get to have the kind of life that I've always hoped for? I can imagine someone here this morning who is filled with regrets. For others here, you know you're a sinner, but it's the suffering that's outside of your control that's draining you. Everything you're going through right now, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. Why, God? Why? He's the one who left. She's the one who lied. There's just no more market for the product I'm selling, and now I'm watching my business fall apart. Or maybe what's haunting you is the state of our world from political polarization and moral decay in our own country to the very real threat of nuclear war. And you're here this Easter morning and it feels like there's no one to open the scroll. And if that's true, there's no hope for our sin and our suffering and our world. We're just just drifting on a raft out in the abyss of the ocean. And so like John, we weep and we weep. But John goes on. Then, one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Friends, there is a rescuer. There is a savior. There is someone who has the worth and the value. Someone for whom it is fitting and appropriate for him to come And to open the scroll. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. You see, God promised to save humanity through the nation of Israel. And then he promised to save humanity through the tribe of Judah. So God started the nation of Israel with 12 brothers. And when their father died, whose name was Jacob, uh, he gave all 12 a blessing. And when he blessed Judah, he said this. Judah. Your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down, like a lioness who dares to rouse him. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. So when John turns, right, or what he hears is this person is the lion from the tribe of Judah, the conquering king who will put his hand on the necks of his enemies. He's powerful. He's a ruling lion who crouches down and no one dares rouse him. And he's also the root of David. So later in the history of Israel, there came a great king from the tribe of Judah named David. And we're told that he was a good king, a a man after God's own heart. And the only problem is that he was a sinner too. 
But then God promised that he would save the world through David's son. And so here is this conquering king, the human who God promised to send to save us. Here he is, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, and he has already triumphed. It's already done. And he is able to open the scroll with its seven seals. And so the angel introduces him, and then John turns to look at him, and this is what he sees. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by four living creatures and the elders. So he's a triumphant, conquering lion. But when John looks at him, he's a lamb who has been slain. But notice, he's standing. He's standing. Slain lambs don't stand. See, Jesus is a risen Savior. Jesus was slain for the sins of the world, but he did not stay in the grave. He rose from the grave, as Paul says, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. As one of us, he became the ultimate sufferer because he bore the sins of the world on the cross. And he was the only one of us who never sinned. He was the only perfectly innocent sufferer. He was the only one who could ever truly say, it's not my fault. And yet, he was silent and willingly died in the place of sinners. And then John tells us he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And at this point, you would expect him to break the seals and open the scroll. Because this whole scene has been about the scroll. But that's not what happens. Instead, we read this. And when he had taken it, The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nations. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Don't you see? Everyone forgets about the scroll. That's why we're here this morning. Our world is broken. We're we're all suffering sinners. But the lion of the tribe of Judah has triumphed. With his blood, he purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and nation and tongue. And even though we're all still struggling with fear and sadness and pain, the message we all need this Easter is not to know what's on the scroll. The message we all need this Easter is that there is one who is worthy to open the scroll. He has triumphed for everyone who repents of their sin and puts their faith in him. 
He has triumphed. He has purchased us out of slavery to sin and death. And he has made us a kingdom of priests to serve our God. And we will reign on the earth. The chapter ends this way. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. So just more than you can even number. And they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice. They were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Forever and ever. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. Which just means, truly, this is right. And the elders fell down and worshipped. You see... All of heaven stops and worships. Everything on earth stops and worships. The seals have not been broken. The scroll has not been unrolled. But he has triumphed. And worship is more important than whatever is written on that scroll. Because there is one who is worthy to open the scroll, we can trust God's plan of salvation will take place no matter our sin, no matter our suffering, no matter the state of the world, and we can rest in God this Easter. One last thing to point out. In Isaiah 42, God says this, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another. Yet here in this heavenly throne room of Revelation 5, God yields his glory to a human. Isn't that amazing? But not just a human. He is the divine, eternal Son of God. Because there is one God and he will never yield his glory to another. But he is one God and three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And we are free now through the work of the Lamb who was slain to stop with all of heaven, regardless of the circumstances of our lives, and just worship. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning. We are grateful for this message. We are grateful for the reality that the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the lamb who was slain, yet stands because he rose from the grave, has triumphed, and that we can stop with all of heaven and just worship him, trusting that for those who've placed their faith in him, whose names are written in the book, when that scroll is unrolled, we will discover that your plan for us is good and eternal and glorious. Thank you that we can rest in that hope regardless of where we're at this morning. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.